Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news of Luke chapter 24. It is the Easter message. Let's share in God's good word together. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Easter is more than we can comprehend, and also so familiar that we can miss or forget the power of this day to change the universe. And our culture is forgetting the power of God for the transformation of the world. If our world today seems more hopeless, well, in some ways it is. On Monday, the Gallup poll reported that in 2020, for the first time, only 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Since the poll began in 1937, this is the first time the percentage is less than 50%. Less than half. In 1937, church membership was 73%. The polling firm also found that the number of people who said religion was very important to them also fell to 48%, which is a new low for people professing faith. Now, some speculate our national decline in religious affiliation to two major trends among younger Americans. First, a continuing decline in trust of large institutions like government, churches, and pharmaceutical companies. And secondly, simply the bad behavior by religious leaders. Take the sex abuse scandals or the alignment of churches with political parties or agendas. Young people don't wanna have anything to do with that. They simply don't wanna be associated with these things. Quite frankly, I don't blame them. But before we get too depressed, remember on Easter morning, there were zero Christians, not one. No one believed Jesus was alive. From that Easter dawn to today, our faith has grown from a few women telling a few more men, and 50 days later in the book of Acts chapter 2, there are 3,000 by the power of the Holy Spirit by the year 325. Sociologists now believe Christians made up more than half of the people living in the Roman Empire. And today, roughly one in three people on the planet profess a relationship with the risen Jesus. He is risen. Before his death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore, Jesus said. And I hold the keys of hell and of death. Because I live, you shall live also. Friends, Easter proves that Jesus was right all along. We can hold on to hope because Jesus' appearance on Easter morning was certainly unexpected for his first followers. Jesus can meet us anywhere, anytime, and often when it's least expected. So we are in a sermon series called Holding On to Hope, Overcoming Life's Unexpected Challenges. And this Easter, we get to celebrate that we are holding on to the hope of the resurrection that we celebrate with our brothers and sisters all around the world this day. So as a way of introduction, we remember that there is not a crown without a cross. And so we go back to Good Friday, and we remember that Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon, 
just before Sabbath sunset. We remember that our uh, forebears in the Jewish faith, their Sabbath, their rest day was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So when Jesus dies at three o'clock, there's no time to do anything with the body without violating Sabbath. So the first daylight opportunity to finish their burial work, these women who were at the cross and now they're coming back to finish their work, the very first time they could do that would be dawn Sunday. Otherwise, they would be in violation of the Sabbath. And so the scripture, the Easter message says this in Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, which is why we celebrate Easter um, and resurrection every Sunday on Sundays, because it's the first day of the week. At early dawn, the very first chance they had, they come to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared. They were ready to do their last burial work. And what they thought and what they had planned was going to happen with Jesus did not happen. And I suppose that in some ways, uh, we are like them and they are like us today. When things don't go the way we thought they would, when things don't go as planned, it's unsettling, it's difficult, and we're not sure what to do. The scripture says this, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That was unexpected. But when they went in, they did not find the body. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. I love the question that R. Alan Culpepper asked. He says, why was the stone moved aside? Was it to let Jesus out or to let the women in? Hopefully by the end of this teaching, you'll have a good answer for that, at least in your own mind. On Easter morning, Jesus is alive. Yet the women, well, they're terrified. It's not going to plan. They don't know what to do. They don't know if he's been stolen or what's going on. And so the scripture says this. It says, the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Will you say that with me this Easter? He is not here, but has risen. This is the good news of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, we can quickly forget the good promises of God. The angels remind the women, remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, the name that Jesus uses for himself, must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. They're trying to help them. They're coaxing them. They're trying to let them not be so afraid. You see, we are called to remember Jesus' words and tell all the rest. Remember what Jesus has said all along. You can count on it. So... Uh, in verse 8, it says, Then they remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven. Not just some of it, but all of it and to all the rest. One of the things that we sort of read between the scriptures is that we find out there were more than just eleven following Jesus. There are the eleven disciples that we know of, but there were more that were following him as well. And they were afraid and terrified. And many of them figured they would be next. If Rome got Jesus, their leader, that they would be coming for them soon after. And of course, uh, history will show us that they're right about that. Ultimately, every single one of the disciples uh, is killed, is, is persecuted and prosecuted by the state uh, and murdered. Uh, all except for John, uh, who is basically imprisoned uh, in the island of Patmos, uh, where we get um, the Gospel of John and Revelation. So this is what we find. The women are faithful in their witness, right? It's a first-hand account. It's not something that they're overhearing. They, they know this firsthand. 
there are multiple witnesses, which was um, a really important thing in Jewish law and custom. If you're going to be a witness, you need to have other people who could corroborate it. And finally, if you look back in Scripture, you'll see that the women listed were known to be in previous service both to Jesus and to the disciples. So these women were awesome. They, one, had a first-hand account, two, had multiple witnesses, and three, had prior service to Jesus and the disciples. But here's the problem in that culture and still in many places today. First-century women had fewer rights and protections than your children have today in this country. Today, if a child is abused, authorities come in and, and do their best to help the child and find another uh, place for that child to be safe and secure and fed. We have laws in our country about taking good care and not neglecting our children. The laws of that time and that day had very little, if any, protections for women. It was better for you to be a young boy than to be a woman in terms of legal status. And so what we find in the story um, is accurate for its time. And that is that the male disciples didn't believe the women. They simply did not believe them. They, they thought they were out of their minds. The scripture says it like this. Uh, the women, they left the tomb and they broke the news of all of this, just like they were told, to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. So, so you've got these multiple women, first-hand account, um, and these were women who were listed in the scriptures um, earlier uh, in the Gospel of Mark, for example, about what they had done for Jesus and the disciples. And so they kept telling these things to the apostles, but the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it all up. And even Peter, the first bishop of the church, did not know what to make of Easter morning. So in verse 12 it says this, But Peter jumped to his feet, hearing the women, and he runs to the tomb. And he stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes. That's all. And he walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Even Peter, the bishop of the church, didn't know what to make of Easter morning. And so we come to really the crux of the matter in this sermon series. And that is, what do you do when all hope is lost? When all hope is lost. And just a, a few verses later, uh, still in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, uh, we find other disciples, other followers of Jesus, who have lost all hope. Two others, and, and notice that the, it's just others. They're not even named yet. It's just two others. They're going home after a crushing Passover experience in Jerusalem. You would remember that Passover uh, would happen every year. Uh, and it happens after the first full moon, after the spring equinox. And so that's why we have Easter now, because it's after the first full moon, after the equinox. That's why it's always in late March or early April, um, sometime in April. This is when we have Easter. And if you look outside this week, you'll see the full moon or something very close to it. And I'm always reminded, oh, yes, this is the same time that uh, Jesus is raised from the dead. It, it's the same time, the same springtime, the same hopeful time. But you know, if you're like me, um, maybe you love your culture as well, like March Madness. I do. And I want to tell you that I am crushed that my team is not in the Final Four. I'm sad about it. And you can imagine if you traveled all the way to Indianapolis and you were there to root your team on and they lost. There's no second chances after you lose in March Madness. Once you're going home from Indianapolis, you're going home. And you don't even get to practice for months 
I mean, you basically have to just eat it that you are a loser, that your team has lost, and that is it, and there's no going back, there's no do-overs, it is just sad time. And so you can imagine, if you're walking home, walking home from Indianapolis back to Oklahoma City, that's a long walk, and you're there with your buddy, and you're like, man, if we'd have done this in the first half, or we'd have done that in the second half, or if this guy would have caught fire, if the ref would have made that call, all of it is bad, and there's no hope, there's no going back. Now, take that times a thousand, and you start to have a sense of the disappointment of the people who thought Jesus was going to change their life. These are people under the boot of Rome. These are people who are oppressed. Bad things happen to them, and they have no legal recourse. And they thought that Jesus was the one to save them. But now he's dead. All hope is lost. And they're walking the seven miles home to Emmaus. In verse 13, the story picks up like this. It says, Now on the same day, still Easter, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You see, Emmaus is the place we go when life is too much for us. I don't know where that place is for you, whether that's food or a restaurant or a bar or, or to a drink or to the lake or out hunting, but Emmaus is that place that we all go to when we've simply had enough, when we've lost hope, and life is just too much for us. Kerry Newhoff says it like this. He says, so many leaders declare it over long before God declares it over, and that's a huge mistake, huge. Don't ever count God out. God's always up to something. And oftentimes, maybe most of the time, things that we can't see. So don't declare it over, friends. Certainly don't declare it over before God says it over, because that is a huge mistake. You see, Jesus meets us in our despair and in our confusion, even if we don't recognize him. Jesus is there. We lean in and we remember Jesus' words that he is with us, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and I'm not trying to candy coat this stuff. I'm not trying to say that all things are easy and right with the world when they're not. It has been a punishing year for me personally and for many of you. This year, I lost two of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, one of my best friends and confidants, somebody I could turn to uh, whenever I really needed an ear or someone to lift me up. And, and that was Jay Wright of our church. He passed away in December uh, unexpectedly. And here's one of the great days of my life when uh, Jay and I and Chantel and our families, uh, we cut the ribbon and entered our first building here at the corner of Pennsylvania and Covell. I'll never forget that day. And it's painful to me that I don't have Jay to share that with me any longer. He's one of the few people in my life that has been with me really all the way through and was such an integral part of making us who we are as a community of faith. I mean, really just a, a few um, short days, about a week or so later, um, I lost another really close personal friend of mine, Josh Kirkendall. Uh, Josh is a light. Anybody who knew Josh knows this, and he too passed away unexpectedly uh, in December. And my heart just grieves, and I'm full of despair. And if I'm not careful, I will lose my hope. Because Jesus is with me even when I can't feel him. And Jesus is with you even when you don't feel it. God is with us 
in our grief and in our sorrows and in our joy. And Easter is both a joyful reminder and a painful reminder of this truth. We can't help but think of those that have gone on before us now, people that we love so deeply and desperately and wonderfully that are not here on this planet with us, but they are with Jesus. And as we connect to Jesus in this life, we know that they are connected to Jesus in the next. And that brings us hope. And we hold on to that hope, not just for ourselves in this day, but for all people everywhere who grieve and mourn and have a loss this Easter. Hold on, friends, because Jesus is with them and Jesus is with you. You are not forgotten. And we will be together again at his beautiful table. And I know where I want to sit, right between Josh and Jay, and across from my beautiful wife, Chantel. We like to sit across from each other so we can see what each other's thinking. So here's how the scripture continues. It says, now while these others were talking and discussing on their way home from Jerusalem after a terrible week, Jesus himself came near. Because that's what Jesus does. He comes near to us in our sorrow, in our pain, in our confusion. And he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You see, Jesus shows up in the most unexpected ways. In unexpected people, in unexpected places, in unexpected times, through unexpected voices. And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? I love this about Jesus. He's kind of a jokester. He's like, oh, hey, they don't know who I am. Let me, let, this is going to be good. And so Jesus says, so they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, now we finally get to know one of them's name at least. He answers him. He says to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And you can almost kind of, uh, you know, feel Jesus um, thinking like, yeah, I know, but I, I want to know how you're doing. And so Jesus asked them, he goes, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. You hear just the anguish in their voice, but we had hoped that Jesus, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Their hopes were dashed. Their hopes were gone. They had lost hope. They had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Like, I mean, if he's not coming back by now, he's, he's not coming back. They were sad and dejected. But I want you to see what happens next. Whether this was intentional, whether this was accidental, I don't know. But they welcomed and cared for the stranger, which is exactly what Jesus had always said for us to do. So in the welcoming and care of the stranger, they found Jesus. And, and that's so often the case when we start to live into things that Jesus has told us to do all along. He is right there with us. And he's been there all along. We just didn't see him. We just didn't recognize him. But when we live into what he's asking us to do, the scales come from our eyes and we see him face to face. As they came near the village, the Bible says, to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were just going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. They still don't know it's Jesus. They just are showing a hospitality. They're showing hospitality to a stranger. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened 
in the everydayness of life, in the breaking of the bread, they recognized Jesus. I don't know if it was emotion or the, the sound of his voice or they finally put it together, but in the regularness, in their hospitality and in sharing a meal together, they recognized Jesus. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, the scripture says. You see, Jesus promises that when we care for others, we are caring for him. He tells us this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, which is exactly what had just happened. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. They welcomed the stranger, they fed the stranger, and Jesus showed up just like he said it would be. You see, friends, Easter's not one day. In our tradition, we celebrate the great 50 days of Easter all the way up to Pentecost. No, Easter's not over at sundown. Not by a long shot. It stretches into the rest of our lives and the life after. And the thing we have to remember is that Easter is never for us only. Yes, Jesus and Easter is for us, but never just us. It's for everyone, for all people, all times, every place on the planet. And here's the great thing about Jesus. This resurrected Jesus no longer bound in space and time, moving slowly from here to there. No, Jesus is on the move. Now you'll know that this is a new kind of Jesus that they experienced seven miles outside of Jerusalem. He, he was no, no longer uh, limping or hurting or bleeding all the way and dragging himself outside of Jerusalem by Emmaus. No, he was simply there, fully formed and ready to go. And so the scripture says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And what does Jesus do when we recognize him? Poof, he vanishes right out of their sight. He's on to the next person to bless. And one of the places that I think he goes is back to the 11, those who are afraid and alone in the house. They don't know what to do. And so Jesus is going to them too. And you're about to see that Jesus will use the other people that he just blessed to bless others. I want you to see this. The experience of Jesus compels action, both in the characters of this story in the Bible and in us today. Every time Jesus gets involved, it compels us to action. We have to act when we come into the love and the grace and the power and the mercy of our Savior. So the story continues. It says that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Friends, their Fitbit is going crazy. It's seven miles out of town. It's seven miles back to town. And they have a burning in their bones. They cannot wait to tell people that they have seen the risen Lord. So they're going back to the 11. So look at this. The same hour they get up, they're going back the seven miles to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. You see, when we share our experience of Jesus, it confirms and affirms God's work in others. I want you to see that. When God comes to you and you then share that with other people, it both confirms their experience because God is consistent in the way God works. So it confirms and affirms what God is doing in their life. And so when they actually get to the 11, look what's going on. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed. They're finding out and experiencing what the people on the road to Emmaus had found out as well just 
a few hours earlier. And he has appeared to Simon, Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And their faith confirmed and affirmed the other's faith. And then their faith shared back, gave more faith. And that's how it is with our life. We have the best news in the world and we need to share it with the world for the glory of God this Easter and the rest of our lives. Now earlier, I want you to see that the 11 hid in despair and disbelief. But now, but now they shout, the Lord is risen indeed. No longer afraid, no longer confused, no longer in despair. And, and here's the thing. When God calls us to action, when, God, when you get that stirring in your bones and, and you don't have it all planned out, that's okay. We're never going to see the whole plan. We're just going to see enough for today. We're going to see the first step, not all the steps. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the full staircase. I like that. I think that's really good. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the full staircase. Um, and, and our family, we like to travel. I like to think of faith as just the distance between the front of your car and the end of your headlights. That's all you've got to see. You won't see the whole journey. You won't see the whole path. You won't know how it ends. Just take the first step and let your light shine. That'll be enough. So our action steps for this week. First of all, at the beginning of the story, the women were told to go and tell all this to all the rest. So I want you to ask God, really ask God, God, who is all the rest for me? Who is that person that you want me to talk to about what you're doing in my life? The good news, the healing, the love, the restoration, the care, how you're turning my life right side up. Who is all the rest to you? Who might God ask you to share a wonderful message of Easter hope and love with this week? And then when God tells you who that person is, tell them. You have to tell them. It's not enough just to know. You have to actually do. You have to go. And when you do, it's beautiful and wonderful. It, it may not all happen all at once. Just like the men, they, they didn't believe them at first. But with their witness, compiled with the witness of the folks from Emmaus, compared to what was going on in their hearts, God worked the miracle of Easter. And the faith began to spread person to person. Another way uh, that we're invited to be like Jesus and to follow the Easter message, to really live it out this week, is to invite someone other than your family, right? Most of us are going to have some sort of gathering with people in our family this Easter, I hope. But here's, here's where it gets really exciting. Invite someone else to share a meal with your family this week. It doesn't have to be in your home. Uh, if, if you can, that's great. But you might just say to someone that you don't know very well, and maybe you don't know about their faith life. Invite them to go to dinner with your family. By the way, you're paying every time. You don't ask them to go to dinner and make them pay. You are showing gracious hospitality in the same way that Cleopas and his friend asked Jesus to stay with them because he had a need and fed him because he was hungry. We can do the same because that's where Jesus shows up. That's where we see him. So, I invite you this Easter to pray this prayer with me. Risen Jesus, no one saw it coming, but your march out of the tomb has changed everything. 
Death is conquered. Hope lives. Love wins. Salvation is here. To say thank you is not enough, but it is where I can start this Easter day. Give us profound delight as we enjoy your resurrection life. Give us deep devotion to follow your resurrection way of life. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.